Amen. Are you ready for Jesus to come? I love that. A few weeks ago, I shared a message, uh, which I promised would be the beginning of a, of a series entitled Followers in Service. We talked about the history of ancient Israel and how in the tragic story of the judges, after one leader would come and would live their life, at the end of their life, when that leader would pass to their rest, as it says in Judges 2.19, as it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they, the children of Israel, reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. It seemed inevitable, no matter how great the leader was, that the Reformation would last no longer than the lifetime of the leader. Yet, Despite this trend, there were a few, a very few, but there were a few examples of leaders, great leaders, who would pass the torch of leadership to the next generation. And we looked at the life of Moses and how through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, this great man, this great leader, Moses, was not just leading the children of Israel, not just leading the multitude, but mentoring one man, one young man by the name of Joshua. And how at the end of Moses' life, when God told him because of his sin that he could not enter the promised land, and Moses went up on that mountain at the end of his life, yet his leadership continued through the man Joshua, whom he had mentored. And though Moses himself could not lead Israel into the promised land, yet in a sense he did through his mentorship of Joshua. And that Joshua carried on the leadership of Moses through the next generation, and even the generation of leaders who were with him. Like I said, there are few examples in Scripture. It's not the norm by any means, but there are a few examples, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, of leaders who have continued on beyond their lifetimes. One example we find is an example in the New Testament of the Apostle Paul. Perhaps the greatest of the apostles, though, as he says, born out of due time. He was not one of the ones who lived and walked and talked with Jesus in person. And yet he met Jesus there on the road to Damascus. He had a conversion experience. And from that moment on, he dedicated his life as an apostle to the Gentiles, to teach the gospel not just to the Jews, but to the entire world. And he lived his life with that one goal, to teach Christ, to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And yet Paul did not work alone. There were others who worked with him. And in a very special relationship, we find an example of mentorship just like the mentorship of Moses and Joshua, between the great apostle Paul and the young man, Timothy. And I want us to take a little time, just a few moments today in our worship service, to explore this relationship and some of the beautiful and intimate counsel that Paul gives to his servant, to his son, as he says in the faith, Timothy. The name Timothy means honoring God. And we find the mention of Timothy In Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, 
Turn with me to verses uh, 1 and 2 of Acts chapter 16. This is the first time uh, I believe that Timothy is mentioned in the book of Acts, but by no means the last, because his name becomes intimately familiar and associated with the Apostle Paul. In fact, uh, most of the epistles of Paul begin with a greeting from Paul and the people who were with him, which most often included Timothy. Paul and Timothy together. Acts 16, verses 1 and 2. Then he, speaking of Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Just like Joshua with Moses, and not unlike the disciples, Timothy joined Paul on his missionary journeys. This was a mutually beneficial relationship, both for Timothy and for Paul. The younger Timothy was able to give Paul much-needed assistance. Uh, We have reason to believe that perhaps Paul's eyesight was not all that it could have been. We don't know that for a fact, but from some of the things that he says, he says to the Galatians, I wish, he says, I know that if it were possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And another, from other comments, uh, such as his large writing, when he was writing by, with his own hand, as he mentions, perhaps Timothy uh, was actually physically helping uh, Paul, leading him or helping him to read or helping him, assisting him in his journeys so that he wouldn't get lost or stumble along the way. But Paul also was a huge benefit to Timothy. Timothy, though he was raised in a God-fearing home, was young in the faith, and he relied upon the wisdom of Paul. He was mentored and developed by the great apostle. And what more could a young person ask for than to be mentored personally by perhaps the greatest apostle of all time? But you know, it's interesting that young Timothy didn't live his life, as it were, under the shadow of Paul. Often, Timothy was sent to different places, on different ministries, just like uh, Jesus would have sent the 12 and later the 70 out to do ministry on their own and then to come back. So Paul would uh, send Timothy to various places or leave him in various places, and then at a later time they would rendezvous. And that would give such an uh, a good opportunity for Timothy to gain experience and then to gain counsel and mentorship as they were able to converse and debrief together. We find in Acts 19.22, Acts 19.22, one example of this. So he sent unto Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So you see, he's sending Timothy on ahead. He says, go here, do some ministry. I'm going to stay here for a little while. And because of this mentoring relationship, Paul was able to multiply his influence in this vast territory that God had called him to minister in. We find that Paul sent Timothy to visit the Corinthian believers uh, in 1 Corinthians 4.17. 1 Corinthians 4.17. We'll look up a few texts today. First Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Paul says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, notice here, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Notice the, the beautiful uh, way that Paul describes his relationship with, with Timothy. He did not have 
uh, biological children as far as we know, but he had spiritual children, and he calls Timothy, my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy was in many ways an ambassador or a representative of Paul just as much as he was an ambassador or representative of Christ. But uh, I think it's important to note uh, in in Acts, where we uh, where we were, Acts chapter sixteen. Acts chapter sixteen. I should have told you to hold your finger there. The verse that we just read, Acts sixteen and verse one. Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. You know, I'm emphasizing how much Timothy is following following Paul. But Timothy is first identified as a disciple. Before even Paul calls Timothy, who was Timothy a disciple of or a follower of? Jesus Christ. I think that's so important when we talk about uh, mentorship or relation, relationships. Paul was not out to make disciples or mentors or disciples for himself. Timothy was not going to become a little miniature follower of Paul so much as he was to become a follower, first of all, of Jesus Christ. And I believe within the context of Christianity and Christian mentoring, uh, that has to be the beginning of the groundwork. That Paul says to, to others, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, ultimately, our goal and our aim is to follow Christ and to teach others to follow Christ, not to follow ourselves. But yet, Timothy needed more. He needed more than just, oh, Here's the Bible. Here's some records of Christ. He needed a living example of what it means to be a missionary for Christ. And that is what he found in the Apostle Paul. You know, I find it interesting that Timothy was no stranger to hardship. Paul did not have a brick-and-mortar school where Timothy stayed in a dormitory and he got up for classes at the morning bell, had had a good breakfast in the cafeteria, and uh, had classes in 50-minute periods with a 10-minute break in between, and uh, had friends and, you know, could could, uh, put pictures on Instagram. And and this was was not the life of, uh, of Timothy. Timothy experienced everything that Paul experienced. What kind of things did Paul experience? Trial? Hardship? Persecution? He boasts to the, to the believers in Corinth. He says, you know, I was shipwrecked. I was, I was beaten I, uh, nearly to, my, to the loss of my life. I was stoned. I was imprisoned. I was persecuted. Did Timothy ever suffer hardship and persecution for Christ? Yes, he certainly did. Uh, Paul mentions in Hebrews 13.23 that our brother Timothy has been set free. Now, if he was set free, what does that imply to you? That perhaps he was in prison. In fact, uh, he refers to Timothy as a prisoner in Philemon. Uh, Sorry. No, in Philemon, when Paul was a prisoner, Timothy was there with Paul. We don't know that he was necessarily imprisoned with Paul, But certainly he experienced the difficulties of this present life by being in companion to Paul, who was for such a long time in prison. You know, you may be wondering, why am I focusing so much on these kinds of mentoring relationships? Why is it so important uh, that I now uh, am preaching a second sermon about mentorship? Well, 
I'll admit, I do have a school assignment that uh, in my master's program that I need to research a certain one of a certain number of topics in leadership. And one of the topics that uh, I could choose was this topic of mentorship. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, this is, this is a topic that is so relevant to me in my life, uh, and I believe to us as a church, that I wanted to focus on it. And I shared uh, in a couple of elders' meetings with our elders some of the material that I'm sharing with you here today. But I thought, you know, this is, this is something that more than just our elders or church leaders need to know about. This is something I believe that is beneficial for every one of us. Amen. Principles from the Word of God. That's one reason. But perhaps recently, as I have begun in full-time ministry, I have realized more than ever the need to rely on the wisdom of those who have gone before. And I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for the telephone. (laughs) I'm thankful for those uh, pastors who have pastored either, whether in this church, I know I've talked many times to Pastor Fred, and uh, also to... Uh, others who pastor in this conference or have pastored in this conference. Hey, what would you do in this situation? Hey, how would you, you know? And just some much-needed advice and encouragement through uh, situations that I never thought I would find myself in. And yet, because of the wisdom of those who have gone on before, I feel like, uh, in some ways, I can stand upon the shoulders of giants. I've realized the need more than ever before, are those kind of mentoring relationships. And I'll have to admit as well, and this is, this is a sad point, but as I have seen one after another of my own family members who have passed to their rest, and their church family, uh, yes, here, it especially strikes me over in our Stearns congregation where it seems that we have celebrated, uh, not celebrated, but... Uh, commemorated the lives of so many of our members who have fallen asleep recently. An entire generation, almost, has fallen to their rest just in the past few years since I've become pastor there in the Stearns uh, Church. And I've realized that with them, they have taken an entire generation of wisdom to the grave. Wisdom that we could have had had we been more intentional in fostering those mentoring relationships before it was too late. Or my own grandfather, who was a pastor for many years in this denomination, who, who passed to his rest two years ago. How many times have I wished I could have asked him questions or said, hey, what would you do in this situation and relied upon his wisdom? And how, how much Timothy would have been thankful for his relationship with Paul in the years after his death, that he had had those, ta- those hours, those days, those years, of that mentoring relationship, of that counsel, that wise counsel that Paul was able to share with him. But I have to say, I have been blessed in studying from the Word of God the examples of these mentoring relationships, and especially this example here between Paul and Timothy. You see, because Paul and Timothy weren't always together in person, it's really a blessing to us. Because Paul wrote perhaps his most touching and eloquent language, to his beloved son, Timothy, who was not physically present with him, but whom he hoped to encourage. If we turn to Paul's epistle, first epistle of Timothy, chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. To Timothy, Paul says, a true son in the faith, 
a true son in the faith. Paul's second epistle to Timothy is thought to be the very last letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And notice how Paul addresses him in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 2. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says in verse 3, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers, night and day. One of the biggest and most beautiful advantages of any relationship, but especially of mentoring relationships, is knowing that someone is praying for you. And I can't tell you how encouraging it is for me as a pastor to get a little email, a little text message, a little note or a little comment, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I know what you're going through, and I'm praying for you. And it may just be a little comment, but it means so much to me. One of my coworkers from the health department, um, she uh, is now working a, a different job as well, but she and I have, have kept in, in contact, and she sends me a text message every, every Monday, almost every Monday. She says, I'm praying for you. Often she'll include a little picture from a devotional, a little note of encouragement for Christina and I both. And she says, I'm praying for you. And it brightens my whole week, and it means so much to me. Amen. To know that someone from a different generation is praying for me, and even though she's never been in pastoral ministry necessarily, she knows something of what ministry is about. She works in ministry. She's not in this denomination, but she works in ministry in her own way, in her own uh, context. And she encourages me and Christina every single week. I'm praying for you. Paul says to Timothy, I remember you in my prayers night and day, desiring greatly to see you, being mindful of you with tears that I may be filled with joy. How many of you here are parents? I think most of us here, many of us here are parents. I'm not a parent. But how many of you who are parents, how often do you think of your children? How often do you pray for your children? Often with tears every single day, maybe many times a day. And spiritually speaking, Paul is praying for his spiritual son, Timothy. When I call to remembrance, he says in verse 5, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. He knows that Timothy has a pure and genuine faith. But notice what he says. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, I know where you have been, but I also know that you're in need of encouragement. And how many of us know leaders, church members who are dedicated to the Lord? We have no doubt of the sincerity of their faith. But at the same time, we know that they could use a little encouragement. Amen. Isn't that true? Isn't that true of probably every one of us here? Right. And true of me as well. How often a person could use some encouragement. And, Tim and Paul here is giving to Timothy the encouragement and strength that he needs. You know, I love to think of the conversations that Paul would have had with Timothy. I love to imagine how he would have drawn out Timothy's 
intellect, Timothy's spiritual, uh, spiritual interest. Maybe just asking a simple question. Hey, Timothy, what would you do in this, in this circumstance? Or Timothy would come to him with a, with a question. Paul, how do you deal with the church members that are doing this and that and that? And that? I have good church members here, but you know, you know what Paul's church members were like. You just have to read First and Second Corinthians, and, and you get a little bit of a taste of it, right? <laughs> and, 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 and Paul, in his wisdom, is like, Timothy comes to him with a question, and Paul says, well, what would you do? You know, that's some of the best things that uh, those who have mentored me, and I've shared some of the stories, have done. Not by saying, well, here, step one, you do this, and step two, you do this, and step three, you do this. And if that doesn't work, here's step four, five, and six. That's good sometimes. But the ones that have been most helpful to me are the ones that have just made me think. Hey, what would you do? Okay, now, now what? And then, and then by drawing it out, it develops that that reasoning and that, that spiritual discernment within the person that is being mentored. Timothy was always going to Paul for advice, for counsel. But through this, he was learning, and he was building upon that body of, of knowledge to where he could then carry on the work of the apostle when Paul was no longer there. But I love the words of Paul to Timothy just a little bit later here in this chapter, verse 7, I love, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's another sermon all on, all on its own. God has given us the spirit of power, the spirit of love, of a sound mind. We don't have to be afraid. But verse 8 is where I want to go here today. Where Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. I believe this is towards the end of Paul's life. As we said, most, most scholars believe this is perhaps the last epistle that Paul ever wrote. And you have to picture the situation there. Timothy has been to Paul a companion. And even now in his imprisonment in Rome, Timothy is there with Paul often, encouraging him, strengthening him. Obviously, he's not there in this, in this instance. Paul is writing to him. But Timothy is there, encouraging him, strengthening him. Timothy himself, as far as we know, was not a prisoner at this point. But yet, he's there, as it were, in the prison, going into the prison. And there must have been some reason, perhaps, for Timothy to feel ashamed. And I have to wonder, have we ever felt ashamed? Have we ever felt ashamed of the gospel? I'll have to confess, I have. When I was in school at a secular community college, I felt like people around me, they don't believe like I do. They're Christians, but they don't, they don't go to church on Sabbath. They, don't, they, they have a different belief about what happens after you die. And, and sometimes I would just want to keep quiet to myself. I would be in biology class, and, and uh, the professor would be, would be talking about how the, the life on earth evolved over millions and millions of years. And there would be students in the back who come from a Christian background, and they'd be arguing with the professor. And the temptation, my temptation was, they're arguing with the professor, I'm going to stay out of it and get a good grade. <laughs> 
But I believe what this other student is saying, that God created the world in six days, recently, by his power, by the word of his mouth. Am I ashamed of the gospel? Am I ashamed to speak up and say, I believe the word of God? Have we ever been ashamed of the gospel? Have we ever been ashamed to speak up what we believe? Oh, excuse me, when I've been canvassing, and I know many of our Wildwood students were canvassing this week, but when I was canvassing, I was, I was sharing Christian literature and going door to door and, and trying, uh, by God's grace, to get this Christian literature into homes. And so often I would knock on a door, and within 30 seconds they would come to the door and, and we would start the conversation. They would say, who are you with? What church are you with? And, and, and my gut reaction was to be almost ashamed to say, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I would say, I, I, I'm a, I, I, you know what I'm saying? I would be ashamed, not that I was ashamed of who I was, but I was ashamed of what they would think I was. At the chicken festival recently, when we were there, uh, someone, someone said to me, uh, what church are you with? And, and uh, it was very clear from the literature we were passing out that we were with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I told her, I said, we're with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Have you heard of us? Oh, yeah. She, she's like, one wife? I said, yeah, one wife. We're not Mormons. <laughs> I, love, I love my wife. Don't get me wrong. But, but I don't want to. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Are we ashamed of who we are? Do we just look around? Is anyone, is anyone watching? Is anyone looking? I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. Can we not boldly say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm saved by his grace. I'm washed in his blood. I'm no longer a citizen of this world. I'm bound for a heavenly kingdom. I expect Jesus to return soon in the clouds of heaven. Not figuratively, not metaphorically, but literally return in the clouds of heaven to save his own, to take them to heaven. As a citizen of his country, because of my grateful love to him, I want to follow him. I want to keep his commandments, all ten of them. And that's why I'm not ashamed to call myself a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, because that's what it means. Speaking boldly, speaking of this boldness, in suffering for the gospel, according to the power of God. Verse 9, Paul says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began. Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the word of God. But are we ever ashamed of the fellow believers? Are we ever ashamed of others? Ashamed to associate ourselves? How easy would it have been for Timothy to be even just a little bit ashamed of Paul. I mean, after all, Paul is on death row. Paul is a prisoner of the greatest power on earth at the time for breaking the laws, to some extent anyway, or so he was accused, for breaking the laws of the nation. And if you are best friends with a prisoner on death row, wouldn't it be easy for at least someone to suspect that maybe you are in with cahoots with them in their crime. 
Wouldn't it have been easy for Timothy to say, yeah, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but this Paul, I mean, he's a little bit radical. I mean, after all, give me a break. I mean, wasn't he? (laughs) Not only that, but Timothy had to have seen some of the mistakes, some of the misjudgments that Paul may have made. Never a day went by, I'm sure, that Paul didn't, wasn't keenly aware of how he persecuted the Christians in his early life. Or that time there in Athens, when Paul, in his own intellect, he, he waxed, waxed eloquent there with the believers, and his, his success was, was abysmal. And he says later, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and his, him crucified. And there in the last journey that Paul made to, to Jerusalem, time and time again, the believers warned him, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. You're gonna, don't, don't go there. Don't do it. And Paul kept on going. And when he got to Jerusalem, he was, he was okay for a while until he decided he says, I'm, I'm going to go with these young men and go to the temple and purify, go through this purification ritual. Which, depending on how you look at it, you almost wonder if Paul was denying the teaching that he had already made. He says, there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, and you don't have to follow all this purification ritual. And, and Timothy would have known this. Timothy knew this. This is what Paul was teaching. This is what the church was coming to believe. And yet Paul is going through this ritual, and it was there in the temple that he was arrested tried and nearly killed there, but now he's on his way to Rome. And how easy would it have been for Timothy to be at least a little bit ashamed to be with Paul? You know, I have to wonder today, how easy is it for us to be ashamed of our fellow believers? Ashamed to say I'm a member of the London Seventh-day Adventist Church when people know all too well what has gone on in the past with certain members of the church. I'm not going to name names. I don't, I'm not accusing anyone. I'm just saying, how easy would it be for someone to be ashamed to say, I'm a member of the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. When you turn on the, the, television st- the satellite television station or you get on the internet and you look up Seventh-day Adventist and you don't have to go down very many hits before you find the name David Koresh and Waco, Texas, and he was a Seventh-day Adventist. Well, actually, he was not at the time this all happened. He'd uh, been disfellowshipped from the church. But even still, it doesn't matter. It, it gives a name, and, and people say, oh, I'm ashamed to call myself a Seventh-day Adventist. Some of you may be following uh, some of the news that's gone on in the, the annual council every year, the, the conference uh, Delegates from around the world meet, general conference delegates meet in the annual council. And uh, I'm so, so glad and so thankful this year uh, to see some of the news coming out from the annual council. One of the resolutions that was passed for the first time in nearly 30 years, a, a statement about abortion and how the, the Seventh-day Adventist church is against abortion. And it makes me proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. But some of the other discussion that's come out about some of the discussion that's gone on at the annual council. And if you get on some of the the news feeds and some of the Adventist news sites and you read all the comments, you know, don't read the comments, I mean, please, don't read the comments. But if you read all these comments and you see the discussion and the the bitterness and the fighting and the taking sides, it it almost makes me ashamed to be a Seventh-day Adventist and to to associate myself with people who can be so, what do you say, unchristian. Are we ashamed of the gospel? 
Are we ashamed of Paul, the prisoner? And by, by Paul, I don't mean Paul, but I mean the leaders within our church denomination. I mean the leaders within our local church or the members whom we happen to disagree with. Are we ashamed of the gospel? Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And he admonishes Timothy, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Ellen G. White, one of the founding members of this church, writes these words about the Apostle John. Ellen White herself had lived through many generations, several generations of the early church. She was there in 1844 as a very young woman, going through the Great Disappointment, She saw the movement go from a fledgling group of believers to becoming a denomination and a worldwide movement to opening schools and hospitals and mission work around the world. She saw the difficulties. She saw the leaders often pitted one against another, one issue and another issue and another issue being hashed out. And towards the end of her life, she writes these words, commenting on the Apostle John in the Acts of the Apostles. The history of John affords a striking illustration of the way in which God can use the aged workers. When John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, there were many who thought him to be past service, an old and broken reed, ready to fall at any time. But the Lord still saw fit to use him. Though banished from the scenes of his former labor, he did not cease to bear witness to the truth. Even in Patmos, he made friends and converts. He was a message of joy. His was a message of joy, proclaiming a risen Savior. A risen Savior on high, who was interceding for his people until he should return to take them to himself. It was after John had grown old in the service of the Lord that he received more communication from heaven than he had received during all the former years of his life. The most tender regard should be cherished for those whose life interest has been bound up in the work of God. These aged workers have stood faithful amid storm and trial. They may have infirmities, but they still possess talents that qualify them to stand in their place in God's cause. Though worn and unable to bear the heavier burdens that younger men carry and should carry, the counsel they can give is of the highest value. They have made mistakes, but from their failures they have learned to avoid errors and dangers. And are they not therefore competent to give wise counsel? They have borne test and trial, and though they have lost some of their vigor, the Lord does not lay them aside. He gives them special grace and wisdom. My friends, as I look out over this church family, I see several here who are mentors to me, 
And I want to ask each one of you, who are you? Are you like Timothy, a young man or a young woman in God's service? Then I want to encourage you, look up to those who have gone before. How many of us have had parents? All of us. (laughs) How many of us have had parents who've made mistakes? All of us. And it's so easy for us as young people to see the mistakes of those who have gone before. It's so easy for us, perhaps like Timothy, to discredit and say, they they lived in a different era, a different generation. Things don't happen now. I'm going to reinvent life my way. My friends, we need the apostles. We need the Pauls, the Peters, the, the, the Ellen Whites who have gone on before who have seen things that have happened time and time and time again. My friends, I'm speaking now to our older generation especially. Are you the Pauls? Are you the Apostle Johns? We need you. We need you to give us the mentorship, the advice, the help, the encouragement, the wisdom that you, have, that you have accumulated through the years. My friends, we need not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we need not be ashamed of each other. It may be so tempting to write off the older generation or, for, or to write off the younger generation and say they don't know what, they, they're, they're still wet behind the ears. They don't know what they're talking about. But my friends, let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, nor of Paul, his prisoner. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Because ultimately, my friends, we're not, we're not following other human beings. We're following one in heaven of whom we never need to be ashamed. And he is able to, com- to keep whatever we've committed to him against that day. Amen. We're not promised tomorrow. We don't know where we're going. Today may be, may be our last day. But with him, we know he is faithful. And he will carry us through that final day. Let us turn in singing to number 511. I know whom I have believed.
loving Father in heaven, Lord, may we never be ashamed of the gospel, and Lord, may we not be ashamed of our fellow workers. Help us, Lord, to keep our trust and our focus on you, for we know in whom we have believed. And we know that you are able to keep everything we've committed to you until that great day when you come in the clouds of glory to take us to your heavenly kingdom. Lord, we long for that day, Lord Jesus. Come quickly is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.